Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am so psyched to be here for this episode with Joe Funk of Kitchen Dwellers. Uh, really excited to have you all here. And if you're here listening to Roadcase for the first time for this episode uh, with me and Joe talking, welcome to the Roadcase community. And if you're a longtime or regular listener, I am so psyched to have you back and uh, really glad you've been along for the ride and really appreciate your support. So I'd like to remind everybody, as I like to do, uh, that there's a number of different ways that you can support Roadcase. Uh, number number one in those ways is to follow us on the socials. It's a really quick and easy way to help support the podcast. Uh, we're at Roadcase Pod uh, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can give us a follow there and find out more information about the show. Uh, if you want to get more involved in the Roadcase community by uh, shooting us an email, that would be awesome. We're at info at roadcasepod.com. Feel free to send anything in, uh, suggestions for guests, criticisms, comments, etc. Love to hear from you guys. Appreciate everybody that sends in emails. Uh, we also have a website where you can find out more information. It's www.roadcasepod.com. Uh, another quick and easy way to support the podcast is to subscribe to Roadcase on your favorite listening platform. So if you're on Spotify, you just hit that little square that says follow. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, another really popular streaming platform, there's a check mark up in the upper right-hand corner. You just hit that one. Uh, by doing so on both of those platforms, you'll get updates as to when new episodes go live, uh, which is really cool. And another great way to support Roadcase is to rate and review Roadcase on those listening platforms. And how you do that on Apple Podcasts, for example, you just scroll down a little bit at the Roadcase homepage, you'll see some stars, hit a bunch of those, that's how you rate it, and then you can write a uh, review if you're so inclined, if you love what you hear, uh, that's a really great way to support Roadcase and really helps this podcast out. So for this episode, I got Joe Funk. Uh, Joe is the bass player for this amazing bluegrass band, Kitchen Dwellers. I really love these guys. You know, I've interviewed other, um, I interviewed bass player Travis Book was on the show from Infamous String Dusters, Paul Hoffman from Green Sky. Kitchen Dwellers is in that same vein, man. These guys just rock the, just rock the hell out of bluegrass with their acoustic instruments. And they got a new album out coming out on, um, on April 29th, Wise River. It's produced by Corey Wong of Wolfpack. They got a bunch of singles out right now. You can check those out on the streaming platforms. Um, this album has a really, really phenomenal, just really big sound. Uh, really love it. Corey is so amazingly talented, and I'm really excited that he's working with these guys, with, uh, with Kitchen Dwellers. Uh, love the chat with Joe. He's from Alaska originally, lives in Montana. All these guys are actually from Montana. They all met at Montana State. Uh, they're really tight-knit group of dudes. Really enjoyed this conversation with Joe. I also wanted to mention that one of the singles that they released is called Stand at Ease. It was released back on August 10th of last year, which is National Mental Health Day, and it was released in conjunction with Backline, uh, which is an organization that promotes mental health among touring professionals. I had Hillary Gleason, who's the head of Backline, on this show, uh, and that was a really interesting collaboration. So we talk uh, a lot about a little bit about mental health. A lot of that's kind of what I do on road cases: talk about mental health with touring professionals. So that's a really interesting direction. Uh, kitchen dwellers are just intense road dogs. These guys have been hitting the road uh, hundreds of shows a year for many, many years. And uh, COVID represented a little bit of break for these guys, as with a lot of touring professionals. So uh, they're coming back even stronger than ever. And this is a really, really amazing new album, judging by uh, the singles that are out there. It comes out April 29th. Uh, it's entitled Wise River. Really excited. And these guys are also hitting the road. So check their website for tour dates. Uh, thanks again to everyone for being here for this episode. And I want to send a special thank you to Joe Funk for being here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go.
Good to see you, Joe. Thanks for being on Roadcase, dude. Yeah, you too. How are we doing? Yeah, I think we're doing okay. You know, all we got all tech, all tech shit uh, (laughs) figured out and ironed out. You know, it's always a, it's always a little bit of a process to bring these interviews, but I'm so happy to be able to do things through Zoom and and um, and get people all over the all over the country. So, are you in Montana? I am. Yep, I'm home in Bozeman. Uh, In Bozeman. Okay. Are you a skier by any chance? I am. Snowboarder, skier. Skier, yep. Oh. I'm actually I'm going to Alaska next week to go skiing. Oh shit! Are you doing Very like a excited. heli trip? I don't know. I don't think we'll get in a heli. That's we'll helicopter see. skiing I, for everyone yeah. out there. <laughs> uh, I got really I excited in, there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the heli. I grew up in uh, Southeast Alaska in Juneau, oh, and there's shit. a little ski area there called Eagle Crest. So yeah. I'm just going back to ski there. I've got some friends who seem like they're getting up in a heli pretty regularly. I might try to tag along with them. <laughs> Yeah, he's sort of like low key that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's that ski area? All right, well, this is going to become the skiing podcast, but uh, I promise I'll end this in like thirty seconds. But there's that ski area where you can go, and they do sort of a combination of you can be in the resort, but sign up for heli, and they'll take you when it's mm. clear or something like that. So if it's socked in, you don't have like an off. You don't have to spend the day not skiing. Yeah, that's sweet. I don't know where that yeah, is, but that like sounds like on the coast ideal. or something you know, like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Cortez, Cortez, no. Oh, Valdez. Yeah, maybe it's Valdez. That's. Uh, I think that's mostly just heli skiing. Oh, okay. Um, oh, but and Alieska is the I other. I still big have never been in a heli. I've done snowcat backcountry stuff, and of course, you know, uh-huh. I, I ski in Utah a lot, so I love skiing fresh snow and powder like everybody else. But mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. <laughs> I was in Telluride earlier <laughs> this year and just got just, it was dry. I mean, the, the skiing was okay, but you know, there wasn't a lot of fresh. So I'm kind of like itching to find some fresh at some point, but maybe next season yeah. kind of season's coming to a close a little bit, but not up in Alaska. Not yet. It's dumping up there. Oh, excellent. Excellent, dude. I'm happy for you. So Bozeman, Montana, is that where you grew up? Uh, no, I grew up in Juneau. Uh, in, oh in yeah. Alaska. What am I saying? I've, yeah. I've been here for uh 12 years 13 years i went to college here so i came here straight out of high school as did most of the rest of the band we all kind of met in college uh okay what college is that montana state uh, okay so was that so you're an outdoors person as well like your band sort of like breathes and lives that outdoorsy montana kind of vibe and you guys make no secret about that that's kind of connects you to the music and and to the vibe how has that sort of infiltrated itself into your life i mean you grew up in alaska so i would assume that's a is that nature and being outdoors is a big part of your life absolutely yeah and i think all of us kind of come from a similar background uh the only person who didn't grow up in like a wilderness area was uh max he came from outside chicago but Mm -hmm. He immediately came here and has spent the last 15 years in the mountains skiing and whatnot. So he's fully immersed himself now too. Uh, But I think it definitely comes out in a lot of the music we're writing, whether it's storytelling or just influential ideas or even just like the overall vibe of a song. Yeah. Yeah. Like his Wise River, that's that's the latest album that comes out on April 20 what did i write april 29th 29th of course i wrote april 28th on my on my notes here (laughs) april 29th i don't know how that happened i should have just looked at what was the friday april 29th uh wise river produced by Corey wong which is Mm -hmm. amazing i want to talk all about that but was that like on the on this subject was that like a that's an old town or a ghost town or something that it's uh it's an old old small town i mean like Uh, bar and a post office size town cool and um that's a sort of a story that Sean wrote. Not I guess not a specific story, but just about that general area. A couple trips that Sean went on down there. Yeah. And we actually went and filmed that music video uh for the song in Wise River. Right. Okay. Cool. What's the ski area in Bozeman? Is that Big Sky? Uh there's Bridger. Bridger. Yeah, Bridger yeah. is the like closer one to town and then Big Sky is about an hour away. Awesome. I haven't skied mm-hmm. in Montana yet, but I've gotten close. I mean, I've skied in Jackson, which is so, sort of, I guess. It looks yeah, it looks s- close on the map. Similar. I don't know. What a far of a drive. Uh, yeah, that's probably <laughs> the closest like major ski area to us. Right. And there's um but, what's that stuff in Alta, um Idaho? Um uh, Tar- Grand Targhee. Targhee, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they do a bluegrass cool. festival there and that I actually that's one of my favorite little mountains, not little, but mountains. Yeah. 
Uh, it's targy. So you, when you do winter, you you just did winter rundergrass. Are you guys like, oh, we're, we need to come to this all the time and play? I'm sure it's <laughs> not like the first festival, but are you guys target like those, the winter bluegrass festivals oh, where we, you can ski all day? Oh, we love it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, winter wondergrass is just an incredible festival. The way it's set up, the way it's run and the locations are all amazing. We've done all, we've done one in Tahoe, Steamboat, and... Uh, Vale or something? Vermont. Uh, Vermont. I can't remember which Oh, so Winter Resort. Winter Rundergrass. Stratton. Stratton. So is mm-hmm. that's a it's a it's a kind of a movable festival that goes from one that Yeah, they, they do I don't know if they're doing the Vermont one anymore, but they do the Tahoe and the Steamboat one every year. At least they have been oh, for the last Oh, it's not just plus. one one festival that sometimes it's in Tahoe, sometimes it's it's in Steamboat. It's called Winter Rundergrass no, and it's in Tahoe and in Steam Okay. Yep, exactly. Uh, cool. Cool. Um well, this 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 new album is is extraordinary. Um, I got a chance to listen to a bunch of tracks from it. Awesome! Not only cool. the the pre released ones, but a bunch mm-hmm. of other ones. You got the secret ones. I got the secret <laughs> ones. Yeah, um, which was great because having Corey Wong on your team for that one, um, I I love what he does with Wolfpack. I love his vibe. He's such a mm-hmm. um, a great musical in, music intellectual, really, about how to put oh, yeah. music together. And he really lends, um, well, let, let me ask you, what do you, what, what did he bring to the table besides, uh, uh a drum kit and a little piano? <laughs> <laughs> I think just his massive body of expertise is like, that was like the major influence because he was able to, uh, like anything that we were trying to do or any idea that he had, he had experience doing that in the past. And, uh, one of the ideas that he came to us with was he wanted to do a, like bluegrass ish album and then make it a little bit more um, approachable to the average listener. Hmm. And so that's where some of these drum, just subtle keys, subtle guitar, little sound bites here and there of different things. That's where that all came into play. That was sort of his, uh, his approach to the whole thing. And we were very excited to work with him on that. Yeah. And um, why do you feel like you want to make it accessible? So in your mind, and, and let me just say, like when you when I say drums and you say drums, it, it's not like an overpowering like Neil Peart style drum kit. It's just it's back there and it's yeah. keeping the beat. And, and I want to talk about also how that might change your job within the band as the bass player as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that is that something you guys have been thinking about, or trying to make it a little bit more accessible and like a, let's throw a drum kit back there because people can identify with that. Yeah, I mean, and a, a couple of the songs that we had previously written prior to getting in with Corey were definitely lent themselves to drums. Oh. And so that was a great fit. I mean, there's a country song on there and then um, Sundown, which I think comes out, um, I don't know when you're releasing this, but it's coming out tomorrow. And oh, that's okay. a very like almost metal drum heavy track. It's it's a very simple drum line, but it just adds a lot of like punch, backbeat, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting part about adding drums to this album was we recorded everything without drums first. Mm-hmm. So there was, there were some in- interesting like juxtapositions of, uh, blending the two rhythms where the drummer was actually following what Sean and I were doing hmm. and also not even doing the same thing sometimes. And then when we put them on top of each other, it sounded cool. Like stand at ease, the drummer is playing half time from what we're playing uh-huh. but the way it actually came together it sounds cool and it's like a very unique thing yeah interesting yeah Corey's uh-huh. so into like changing beats and syncopation and i'm not sure if i'm really using the right terms for mm-hmm. that but when you're adding things at a different time signature sort of i guess that kind of yeah. accomplishes that a little bit but he's so well familiar with that with his amazing rhythm guitar playing oh gosh yeah and we surprisingly didn't like I was kind of expecting him to like want to throw some like crazy rhythm stuff in there, like really like heavy hitting, like rhythmic things. And like mm-hmm. we didn't really go towards that, like like his style of playing mm-hmm. didn't really it didn't really end up on the album. Yeah. Which was surprising, but totally cool at the same time. Well, were you he concerned his... that that may have been in the direct? What, what were the conversations that you had with him leading up to that? Like, oh, uh yeah, like, wh- what are you going to make? The, yeah, what's your familiarity with bluegrass? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, he, he really just wanted to, like, this was sort of his idea to, like, find a bluegrass band and add these other elements to it to 
like I said, make it more approachable. And uh, we did talk a little bit about just that general concept, but never, we never, I mean, we never asked like, Hey, do you want to be on our album or do you want to like do these specific sounds or anything? Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly where, um, uh, sorry, lost my train of thought, but, um, yeah, in terms of Chris or not Chris, I was thinking about the prior album, uh, Corey, <laughs> Corey <laughs> we'll yeah. get to that, but, uh, Corey's entrance into the bluegrass world, uh, vis-a-vis -vis this, this album. Yeah. Um, I think it was really just about adding like these subtle, subtle sounds and really like letting our songs express themselves in ways that we might've not done with just the four of us. Yeah. Uh, and our own ideas and our own instrumentation. Yeah, interesting. The first album, did you guys produce that on your own? No, we had, uh, well, we recorded one album a very long time ago uh -huh. with a different guitar player, and that was self-produced. But um, the first album that's been released Ghost in the Bottle? Since then, yeah, Ghost in the Bottle, we had Andy Thorne, uh, the banjo player from Leftover Salmon. Oh, uh, yeah, uh-huh. Um, and then the and last one was, um, uh, Chris your Pandolfi. mate was Christian Pandolfi who plays banjo mm -hmm. for, uh, for infamous string dusters. Yeah. yeah. We thought about just continuing the banjo trend, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. I'm sure Torn appreciates that. Wait, what was yeah. that thing I heard recently on, on a video that I was looking at where Torn kind of, when you first met him, he had a banjo, but didn't actually yes, play a exactly. banjo. Yeah. He, he had a banjo in his dorm room and. He first started out, he was playing it kind of like a guitar, yeah. with pick and stuff. And we spent about two years doing that. And then we we're like, well, we should probably sound a little more bluegrassy. And yeah. he started how finger long, picking. So, and then, so how long ago was it? How long did it go from like zero to where he is at now where he's he crushes? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's incredible. And the other crazy thing is he's left-handed and he plays right-handed. So oh, that was just a whole other element. I mean, he's, he's an incredible musician. Uh, but... I think he stopped playing with a pick like two years into playing the banjo. So probably 2012, 2013. Uh -huh. You know what it, what it was is we were playing the uh, competitions in Telluride at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival. Uh -huh. And like what time we frame? realized, what's that? What time frame was this? Uh, 2012 was the first. We did it three years in a row. Wow. Uh, 2012 was the first year. And... Uh, we realized they really like traditional bluegrass and traditional bluegrass sound. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was sort of the, the turning point for him to uh, start playing with his, with like finger fix stuff. So when you go. start banjo, it's just easier to just strum? Um, or just, we didn't know. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't exactly I don't know. know. I'm intrigued by the banjo and the progression there. And I'm always intrigued. I mean, I'm intrigued by bass too. And we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, the finger picking is, is bonkers. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it's wild and he, yeah he has his own because he's he's entirely self-taught yeah. so he has like his own style with both his left and his right hand like um most people anchor with with one finger down and then play mm -hmm. with these fingers yeah or, so and he just kind of like free forms it and i think that lends itself because to a lot of strumming. his tone yeah yeah interesting interesting um mm -hmm. what about your connection with the bass and 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 musicianship did you grow up um in a musical family uh, my mom played guitar and sang. She was in some bands growing up, mm -hmm. and uh, I started playing bass in middle school. I think we had to pick an instrument, and that was the only instrument that you didn't have to take home to practice because it was so big. <laughs> Very little uh, homework. So, yeah, <laughs> that's the whole <laughs> so angle, I Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I chose Very that. Bassists always have like a sneaky understory, like backstory yeah. <laughs> about that. <laughs> I talked to I talked to Travis Book, and he's like, "Well, my mom told me that if you pick up bass, you'll never be without a gig because everyone yeah, needs a bass player." Very true. Right, right. Any kind of music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but so I started there, and it was all like symphony stuff, uh, sheet music, and all that. Mm -hmm. uh, but my the orchestra teacher in middle school also did private lessons. Mm -hmm. So I my parents, fortunately enough, got me into private lessons with him, and he taught me everything I know about theory and a lot of jazz improvisation and stuff like that. Mm. And so I kind of went more of that route towards high school. And uh, when I got to college, met these guys and 
kind of went from there. But I've always played stand-up bass. I never played like electric bass or anything like that. Uh, I mean, do you pick one up just to mess around just because I'm curious? Yeah. yeah. And like my left hand knows where to go. I know where all the notes are, but my right hand is just, it doesn't have the muscle memory for how to play like slap style or anything like that. Oh, but you play, you, your, your left hand's on the fret, right? You play right hand. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that's interesting. I never actually thought about that. So it's just not, it doesn't feel like a natural movement to have your like elbow back kind of thing. Yeah. It seems yeah, more relaxed totally to different. have your arm, like you can kind of let your arm hang. It's sort of like, um, uh, without bending the elbow almost, right? Your right hand at least. It seems, mm-hmm. it's like, it seems like a comfortable position. Totally. Right? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. You kind of use your. about that? You kind of use like your body weight and the weight of the bass. Like you can almost lean the bass into your hands. So you don't have to push as hard, stuff like that. Right. And um, do you play, um, are you playing one of those skinny electric basses? Yeah, or- it's skinny. It's not actually electric. They're called eminences. It's like what Yonder and Green Sky and they're kind of this, not standard, but they're yeah. pretty popular these days. They're still acoustic. And like I have the same pickup on that bass as I do my regular big standup bass. Gotcha. Uh, but they're still acoustic, so they still have a very similar tone, but the body is a lot smaller. So one, it's easier to travel with and two, the onstage sound is a lot more manageable. We have a lot less feedback issues and that can kind of like, we can blast bass on stage. The subs can go crazy, whatever. Because there's there's not so much echoing around in the body. Yeah. So how do you think like Travis book, for example, who plays like a massive stand-up bass, how do they get around that? Um, I don't exactly know. He definitely has a thing against the little skinny bases. Clearly. He's told me about before. <laughs> um, skinny he bass has, dudes. He's yeah. got like a separate category of dudes out there. <laughs> yeah, he like scoffed at me. I would never play one of those. And uh, he moves it but, around on stage too and he picks the thing oh, up. We talked gosh, about that a yeah. bunch, how they like go and uh-huh. focus on different. Yeah, I love yeah. that vibe that they do. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. He has one that like breaks down. I think he's had a couple different ones, but his like totally unscrews and they can fold it down into a little thing. So it's still a travel sized base, but oh, interesting. I didn't um, know it, it go, folds up into a big one. Yeah. Well, forgetting about that, I talked to Michaela Davis who carries around her harp wherever she goes. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Rented one. How much she... do those things weigh? Did she tell you? I mean, it's gotta be. I didn't ask that question exactly. Like, are they probably s- like 50, 60 pounds maybe or something like yeah. that? Yeah. She puts it in like this big box. It looks like a coffin basically. So, you know, to protect it, which adds a bunch of weight to it. And I presume it has wheels on it, but she's like, the first thing I check when we got a tour schedule is whether or not there are stairs up to the stage or how, what, yeah. what's the load in like? That's her. <laughs> first, I mean, I'm sure that's a question that everyone has, but like, especially for her. Um, she traveled in Europe once and, and rented and played a bunch of different things and rented a harp Mm. because she didn't want to, she didn't go to that extent, but speaking of, does she fly with it ever? Um, that's like, I don't know. I didn't ask that question. I'll connect the two of you and you can explore. Uh, I, I want to say, yeah, she's flown it around. We, I talked about shipping it with her somewhere, but I think she also, oh yeah, because we talked then about. Yeah, when I was really into cycling and I would go out to LA where I'm from and SoCal and do some great cycling out there, I would ship my bike and it's fucking mm-hmm. nerve wracking, man. Oh, yeah. Carbon definitely. fiber bike. And I didn't like, I, I didn't hard case it. It was a soft case and you'd mm. build all sorts of stuff around it, you know, like towels yeah. and soft things and everything. Oh, yeah. I don't know. The theory was kind of like if you put it in a soft case, they'll be easier on it instead of just throwing mm-hmm. around something that looks like a suitcase. Yeah. My bike never broke. We've had- I sent it to Europe. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've had our stuff uh, thrown around by the airlines for sure. I've <sighs> broken broken the base a couple times. Seriously. Torrens had his banjo and like hard case broken. Um, we recently had our, like one of our, this isn't necessarily the airline's fault. I don't know what happened, but the lid from our, like one of our uh, console, like big heavy equipment like the lid that holds everything in came off. Oh, like a sound console? Yeah, and it had like oh. thousands of dollars of stuff God. in the back that just fell out. <laughs> Flying's been a... We've been doing a lot more flying lately, and it has been... Are they checking the latches on the things now when they That's what, yeah, that's We the, tape that's everything down now. Yeah, right. <laughs> just tons of duct tape going around the thing, you know? Um, yeah. Let's talk about... Uh, Kitchen Dwellers is really... Um, and and what I love about bluegrass is that that spectrum of, as I joked with a friend, yeah, well, it, some bands are more traditional bluegrass. He is like, you mean bluegrass? 
<laughs> not traditional, right? So yeah. there's that interesting spectrum of bands that are out there now. You guys are more on the on the the rock influence side, and you, and and you've mm-hmm. said that this is not a secret. Where do you? What are yeah. your thoughts on? Um, the style of bluegrass, the jam bluegrass, psychedelic bluegrass, if you will. Tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about how you view that space and and the kitchen dwellers, um, how they occupy that space. I think um, we have our own unique thing going on, which is sort of what lends us to have success in the bluegrass community. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody who has sort of reached up into the upper echelon, not that we're upper echelon, but just like people who have like made their footprint, they all have, uh, they're all unique in their own way and have developed their own almost genre, but definitive sound. Um, Like, for example, Billy Strings, Green Sky, yonder us like we all jam and we all every if you just put it on you could hear you could you could tell which band was playing that jam just based on tones rhythmic styles yeah all of that yeah not even vocals um, really i mean you can tell with vocals vocals yeah forgetting vocals yeah 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 yeah, absolutely um so everyone sort of everyone occupies a certain lane um mm -hmm. what is your thinking on that what that lane is for kitchen dwellers just to put some words to the thoughts I mean, it's hard to define. Our fans call it Galaxy Grass. That's like sort oh, of the name that they've dubbed I haven't it. heard that one yet. We uh, we used to make a. Lo- I mean, we still make a lot of space noises and like use a lot of effects pedals and stuff like that. Yeah, I love and, that. Uh, I love that. I think that. I mean, that's where that came from. Uh, but it's just a unique sound that I don't like. The four of us have a mental thing going on where we all know what each other are doing and can all hear each other's rhythmic nuances individually. And it's, it's hard to label like what it is. It's just, yeah, 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 we yeah, all come clear. from vastly different backgrounds. And I think that lends itself to just creating one unique sound. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that we're any, any band is limited to one sound. Like we kind of, we play covers all over the place and whatnot. Yeah, but, I love the, um, the 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 Floyd cover EP that you guys did. I was listening to Pigs yeah, this yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you get featured nicely um, in that one too. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, great song selection for those for for some bass there. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what kind of music did you grow up listening to? Growing up, I mean. High school, I definitely went through like the metal phase, listened to a lot of Metallica, and then um, got into college and dove pretty deep into uh, Pretty Lights, if you're familiar with Pretty mm-hmm. Lights. Um, it's sort of a combination of electronic hip hop and like soul. I'm uh, sorry, is that the name of a band? Yeah. Okay, Pretty Lights. Well, okay. it's a guy. It's a guy's... And it, he used to just have a drummer and then he kind of went solo for a while. And then he like brought in a band. A lot of members of Lettuce were with him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he had, and then his, his last little innovation was this, like, it was like a hip hop beat jam band is the best way I could describe it. Like he would play his tracks and then it's all really like bass heavy and synth heavy. And then they'd go into these improv jams that were all like hip hoppy sounding, like mm. a lot of West coast synth sounds and stuff like that um really really cool um really fun to just see where that was going because that was its own unique thing yeah that had definitely never been done before yeah um but so I, i was super into that and i think that's really the most influential piece for me for my bass playing style especially like when we're in jams and whatnot the rhythm side of it and just like the tone that I've been going for with my bass and the different synth sounds that I use in our jams, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Definitely most influenced by uh, pretty lights. I'll have to check it out. I like the comp when there's a combination of different sounds and genres. That's mm-hmm. always super interesting. What was it that, um, that struck you about bluegrass coming from your jazz and classically trained background? Um, it was, just an outlet to play music at the time. Yeah. Um, I met our original guitar player, Kyle, like first day in the dorms at college. And you <laughs> saw, I, I think I was getting my bass out of my truck. Yeah. And he was just like, Hey, you want to jam sometime? And so we played music together for 
that year yeah. and just i mean it's he phenomenal. had a guitar at a bass that's so fucking and cool. then uh the next year we met sean and started playing with him and Torin shortly thereafter and yeah it's just sort of because sean had a mandolin and Torin had a banjo that we were playing bluegrass because that's the yeah, instrumentation right, that right. we had yeah, yeah. <laughs> um <clears throat> necessity is the mother of invention, I guess, in that sense. But um, so Montana State was treated to a bunch of early. There's a bunch of Montana State alumnus out there, alumni out there that are like, oh, yeah, I used to kitchen dwellers, man. I saw them play at like the pub or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. Well, the kitchens in house <laughs> Whatever parties. it was called. Whatever yeah, you guys were Hoff called Brow. back then. Yeah. Okay. The Hofbrau. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Were you guys the kitchen dwellers mm-hmm. then? What, what kind of iteration yep. did it go through? Um to play an open mic at the Hofbrau, we needed a name and yeah. we were always playing in Sean's kitchen. And I think one of our girlfriends at the time was like, you, you guys are kitchen dwellers and that's that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> at least you weren't living room dwellers and taking up your girlfriend's face <laughs> on her couch. You could have been like a couch dweller. Kitchen dwellers is just kind of, it's a great name. It's sort of elicits all yeah. sorts of different kinds of thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Yeah, when I, heard, I, love to when say I first it, heard like, that name, I'm like, oh, that's kind of dope. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I love to say, I mean, everybody's kind of a kitchen. Dweller. Like anytime you go to a house. Yeah. You you're always hang, hang out in the, out kitchen. In the kitchen. You're always in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah right. There's the food. Yeah. There's talk. You just kind of stand uh, around, you know, there's always something yeah. to do. Right. That's so cool. Um, let's talk about this. Um, okay. The single released uh, Stand at Ease. Yeah. In conjunction with Backline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was released on World Mental Health Day, which is, I believe, October 10th, if I wrote that date I down think, correctly. I think that's right. Yep. It's <laughs> been a few months. I'm still yeah. kicking myself over the April 28th versus the, the album comes out on April 29th, everybody. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talk to me a little bit about the motivation for for that. And um, I had Hillary Gleason on who runs Backline. Mm -hmm. Um, I talk about mental health a ton on this show. Just had Dave Mm -hmm. Schools on. And we talked, of course, about Neil Casal. Dave produced the Highway Butterfly, this amazing compilation of covers, um, a tribute to Neil Casal. Talk to me a little bit about the motivation from that and your aspect on mental health and why you guys wanted to do this, which I really applaud, by the way. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I had sort of a, that chorus in my head without a firm set of words, and then Jeff Austin passed away. So mm. that was sort of like the kicker. Oh, man. Um, and that summer so you were, of, Wait, hold on. You were already writing a song about kind of mental I just health struggles, things, and then- No, no. Just I had like a tune in- Like I had that melody in my ah, head. Ah, okay. The chorus thing. melody. Yeah, the oh, chorus melody I, and I was, some of the I, words were there. Uh-huh. Okay. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Um, and then uh, I think that that was 2019 and uh, it sort of just evolved throughout that summer. And the version that it is now is a little different than the original one that we had. We worked with a songwriter uh, for the album with Corey mm-hmm. a little bit and he helped me kind of mold and like get my ideas uh, a little bit more, not direct, but clear mm-hmm. in the song. Um, but it started, yeah, with, with just with Jeff passing and I, that was a huge, it was a very influential moment in my life. And I still, to this day, don't entirely know why I didn't know him personally. I met him one time and I've known a lot of people who have passed away from various causes. And for some reason that one just stuck with me more than most have. And I think that's really what the driving force that led me to write that song. And yeah, and so a lot of it was about him and there were some other parts that um, are about other people closer to me that I know who have struggled with mental health. Um, the line about fentanyl and um, the drug use is that was actually about Mac Miller, who was also pretty influential for the years before he died in my life. I listened to a lot of Mac Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've seen now, that's become a much more apparent um, issue with the fentanyl-laced yeah. drugs. Right, right. And, Opioids and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when, right before we were going to record the album, um, we had the song like pretty much dialed. And then our really good friend, Max Graham, uh, passed away in Minneapolis, right where we were going to record. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. And 
it was almost uh, too just crazy how how much that song was exactly about him too with um, the scenario same scenario as Jeff Austin with daughters family left behind and um so we went to the studio a week after that happened and that's really i think where like the emotion just came like that's like what sent that song over the edge for me emotionally Mm. and inspirationally um just being in the same town and having such a close timeline to that event you guys were Um, destined to put out that song for that reason yeah obviously unfortunately yeah yeah right But um, going to to the opioid stuff, I grew up, like I was saying, in Juneau, Alaska, and um, I saw from a pretty young age just, like, the destruction that uh, pharmaceutical opioids could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a big issue with OxyContin, and especially once we got to high school, a lot of substance abuse there is people would uh, smoke Oxy-80s. That was, like, the huge thing. Jesus. And it took wow. a huge toll on the entire community. Um, and at this point, I think the class above me, like it's almost 10% or something of them are, have passed away to some sort of drug related wow. event, whether it was a direct overdose or a suicide because of giving a lethal overdose to somebody else or something along those lines. But it's, kind of i mean it i almost was numb to it after getting out of that town Mm -hmm. and uh luckily didn't have much experience like personal experience with death close to me up until the last few years and i think the pandemic really exacerbated that i mean it started with jeff right before that but um that's definitely where a lot of the inspiration for that song came from too. Why I wanted to include at least a verse about that. Yeah. So, um, and what about the connection with backline and, and mental health? Yeah. So we, we wanted to find an outlet to do some sort of good with the song, uh, especially going into the studio a week after Max Graham passed away. Uh, Max Graham is from kind country, by the way, uh, Minnesota band. And he's, he's played with us a lot. He filled in with us, um, on mandolin for, for a tour one time. Uh, but we just wanted to find an avenue to do some sort of good. And we didn't really know exactly what to do. I mean, money is one thing, but we wanted to, uh, combine with, with a company or something that was, that, that would have more, more of an effect and more, maybe raise more awareness than just like trying to donate to a foundation or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's why having backline as a resource for musicians is just absolutely incredible. And, um, have you used their services? I have not. No. Um, but I know, I know a lot of people who have. Oh yeah. And for those that may not know, you should listen to my interview with, um, with Hillary Gleason who runs backline, but it's an organization that provides mental health services to touring professionals and has an 800 number and will set people up with, um, talking to someone, you know, counselor or therapist that you can talk to. Um, and, uh, it's, they do a lot of really great good. And it was really actually also motivated by, um, the unfortunate passing of, of Jeff Austin and Neil Casal in 2019, mm-hmm. both in 2019. So it's a relatively new organization, but there's been so much focus on mental health recently because of those two. And of course, others that you've talked about as well that have touched your own life. Um, what are some of the challenges that you face being out there on the road? Uh, for me <clears throat> specifically, uh, is finding my own time that's one of the, my huge, um, focuses is like getting that 30 minutes a day where I am just by myself, Yeah, whatever it is, running, going to the gym, sitting outside in the sun, any, just a, just personal time. Yeah. Just kind um, of wind down. Is, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I personally have never struggled with depression, which was actually a very hard part about writing this song. I I was very nervous to put something out there that I hadn't personally, I didn't want to like um, express something wrong or, and it wasn't like I was going to go interview somebody who <laughs> I, you know, I, and that was, a, it was a big hurdle for me to, to want to do something good with this and put this out there, but also, 
not fuck it up. Yeah, you wanted to just say it right, you know, like yeah. Um, I mean, your heart, I, your heart's in the right place, so you can't fuck it up that way. <laughs> I hope so. Um, yeah, you, yeah. You, you clearly, you clearly give a shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've I've seen counselors before for anxiety related issues, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, I think that's that's my main focus on the road. Is I just I need I need my personal space, which is hard. Um, especially at the stage where we're at, we're not in a bus yet. We don't all have our own hotel rooms. We don't have a lot of, I mean, there's always stuff to do. There's never, there's never a time where you can't feel a little bit guilty for trying to take time for yourself. But, um, we definitely as a band, um, make a point of everybody needing to, uh, one express if they are struggling or need something mental health wise and just, just have being able to take time for whatever anybody in the band needs and not feel selfish for it. Yeah. That's important. Like to be able to express what each guy needs, each band Mm -hmm. member needs. Um, does it help that you guys, does it help or does it hurt that you guys have known each other for so long and are so close? Oh, it definitely (laughs) helps. I think, uh, cause we all know we, I mean, everybody can see like, Oh, this person's, they're getting wound up. We gotta, we gotta do this for them or whatnot. uh, There goes Joe again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, Nobody can hide anything from anybody. Oh, that's we, good. That's we a good thing. We all see right through each other, which is, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, I I grew up an only child, so I never had brothers or sisters oh, Well, or now you do. Exactly. <laughs> I always ask the guys, I'm like, is this, is this what having a sibling is like? They're like, yeah, this, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, the business partner mixed in there too, so. Yeah, right, right. Well, sometimes it happens like that too, but. Yeah. You guys have been on the road just doing gigs and gigs and gigs i don't know how many probably hundreds if not more a year for like 10 years prior to COVID. right i mean that's a lot of time on the road yep yeah and that was one of the things with COVID. um we were touring so hard right before we did a night nine week tour in 2019 and then always like at least a five week tour or four weeks on one week off four week on mm-hmm. and we uh, with COVID we and being home so much, we all realized how how overworked we were. Yeah. And we made a, a big point um in our band and to our management and stuff that we we had to set some boundaries on what we were able to do. And I think that's going to be huge for us moving forward. We're sort of getting back to normalcy now. We'll hopefully fingers crossed that it stays that way and Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're we're excited to have have those boundaries in place and see how much better it can make everything our lives on the road and the shows for people because we once we get to week four on the road we we all start to get a little burned out yeah um so it's the kind of the shorter the shorter legs of yeah, the being tour. away from home was a big one and then also like the we we go we get home from an eight week tour or something and then yeah, we have a quotes week off and then we play the next weekend somewhere else. And those, those were the shows that really started getting to us. The like in betweeners where we have a three night run here, three night, like we didn't really get like actual time off to decompress and live at home too. I mean, I got dog and a wife and everything. I mean, we, we all got family we want to see at home too. So yeah, yeah. having those constant, uh, one-offs were were kind of taking their toll on us yeah so it, it kind of sort of um taught you the importance of being at home and 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 what what the other how the other side lives yeah <laughs> uh, yeah and, exactly and what did, like <laughs> uh, like uh in real life let's say um for lack of a better term you know like home life and being at home and enjoying those sort of things um and uh it sounds like it really taught you what what was important to each one of you i would presume are you guys kind of all on yep. sort of the same page with that yeah i mean we don't all do the same things when we're home but right. we all have that sense of wanting to spend quality time at home yeah i hope that lasts with bands i mean i hear that a lot like you mm-hmm. know it's 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 not it's 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 not necessarily a no-brainer but it's not like rocket science that when you're on the road for 10 years doing it doing the hard gigs for so long and then have a year off mm-hmm. you're like oh this was kind of nice in, yeah, in, oh, from, <laughs> from a personal perspective, right? Yep. I mean, yeah. Do you kind of not do you not want to say like how awesome it was? Oh no, I I will definitely say that <laughs> COVID sucked and was the best thing for me. Yeah, in my life at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I I was fortunate enough. I mean, I didn't have 
people close to me pass away or have yeah, struggle oh, yeah, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. with COVID and all totally. that. And I didn't have the same mental health struggles through COVID that a lot of people did. I mean, a lot of people went home to nothing. They went home to sitting in a room by themselves all day right? or and being locked down for extensive periods of time. And we were fortunate enough. One, we live in Montana. Most of us had friends and family that we went back to and we were all able to enjoy the activities that we love to do when we're not on the road. Yeah. So it was, it was a blessing for me personally. And I absolutely know that that is not the case for everyone, but, um, it, it was a blessing and it also was a good wake up call to what, um, we see as essential in our, in our lives. Yeah. How, what was the things that struck you when you got back out there? Uh, in front of audiences and you guys did a couple of drive-in shows maybe mm -hmm. like but i know i saw you in the summer um at uh at sculpture park in denver when you played um on the bill with goose those two both of those shows those were phenomenal um and so you were out there in the summer you guys were touring in the fall what are some of the things that struck you about being back out there and then secondarily did you accomplish the downshift and the sort of <laughs> that you just talked about wanting to do is, yeah, is that, so, is that, has that been executed? So far, so good. We have a long tour this spring, but it's uh, just we're seeing looking at it as sort of a necessity getting back into the swing of things. Uh, <laughs> That's a slippery slope, Joe. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, my favorite part about playing music, even throughout the pandemic, was just the, the people in the audience and even the venue staffs, just seeing the like it was like life was brought back into them by being in a, like not even us, just any music would have done it, but just being around people and like having that energy in the room. Yeah. Like everybody was so, when we first started playing like even socially distanced shows, like the venue crews were just so excited to go back to work. So excited to be there. Every like the spirits were so high pretty much everywhere we went. Mm -hmm. And the audiences, it was just like elation. It seemed like everybody was at least two times more excited to be in that spot than they had been in five years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. More, more like, so prior to that, it was sort of just like business as usual, but that injection of just, again, having that sort of kind of year off and being back at it, you could feel mm -hmm. that enthusiasm that everyone was. Absolutely. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. Especially in the sound guys, usually sound guys are pretty cranky. Like the whole crew <laughs> and everybody was so excited to be at work. It was so cool. It was so fun. That's awesome. And it, I mean, it's, it's still like that, but it's, it's getting back to the old cranky sound guy days. <laughs> <laughs> Hear that sound guys. Yeah. Uh, we got a little bass issue with the sound, I guess, huh? Yeah. There's use, there's a good spectrum. I like to say with sound guys, it's like the more of an asshole they are, the better they're going to be at their job typically. So Ah, okay. I kind of see that as, you know, having told, like asked a sound guy to like fix something and they were an asshole because they didn't and it actually ended up turning out okay. Yes. Totally, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy's an asshole. And after the show, he's like, well, I actually sounded pretty fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a, we have a, uh, um, you know, a, a, like a, a a public relations issue like with the sound guys uh -huh. but they don't give a shit so it doesn't matter yes, exactly right? um tell me about the super early days at kitchen dwellers like after montana what what montana state after you guys got out of school mm -hmm. um or finished your studies or what have you what did that kind of tell talk to me about the progression from playing at the Hofbrau? I mean, I'm kind mm -hmm. of like squeezing it down, right? <laughs> but what was that Hofbrau to, you know, a national nationally touring venue tour? And what was that like kind of in between that? And when did the when did you sort of move into the direction like we're gonna fucking do this, guys? Let's go. Yeah, man. Uh we sort of had the inclination that we wanted to do that uh pretty early on. Um I think like three or four years into the band, we all sort of realized that we like had a thing that was like, maybe we could do something with like, mm. or just the way our minds work together and improvisation was like, sort of like a, a step or like a stepping stone to, to being able to like do that professionally. Yeah. Um, we sucked at the time. It was awful, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but there was, we could tell there was something there and, uh, we went through some lineup changes in like 2014. 
Um, and after that, like that's when we realized the we guitar, were still the guitar. guitar. Yeah. We lost but a fiddle it, and swapped guitars. Ah, okay. Okay. But it's always been and, you and, um, and torn and Sean. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, that's, I mean, that's when we realized we really were committed to it in the long, long run. Um, if we were able to go through that whole process and keep progressing from there uh-huh. and like I how long ago, adding, what year was that roughly? That was summer of 2014, I believe. Okay. And adding, and that's when Max joined and that has just, that couldn't have gone better. And he added so much to the band and it sort of turned into a new, a new thing, but we did keep the same, like that, like thing that we had in, in improvisation where we knew we could like keep going with it. Yeah. What was that like when Max first came in? Had he been playing with you guys before? He, were you, were you he cheating? A... Were you cheating with Max <laughs> before? No, Max uh, is actually playing? cheating with us. We stole him from our friend's band. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, but uh, West Coast throwdown and, between the yeah. Montana bluegrass uh-huh. bands now. Okay. <laughs> and we still actually play some of that band songs, so oh, it's, okay. it's all good. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so what was the um, what was that process like of bringing him in and getting him into the fold? We were, so, I mean, we were sort of scouting, like talking about who we wanted to bring in. And I think Sean even like went to Colorado and like met up with a few people. Mm. And, um, but Max was right here in Bozeman, which worked out great. Yeah. And um, I mean, it couldn't have ended up better. But yeah, he started playing with us. We played our first show with him some little festival in a mining town in Montana, Virginia City. And it was like kind of like coming back from COVID for the venue cruise. It was like, we were those people at that point, like so excited to like, Holy cow, this is awesome. Like we can keep doing this. This is, mm. this is a real thing. Like that we can, we can do this. Oh, there of. was kind of like a dark day when you lost your fiddle player and the guitarist. And then you were yeah. like, Oh fuck, what are we going to do? Maybe this could be mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But to get back out there, you guys felt better. It was great. Yeah. And we didn't, we weren't like touring at that <laughs> point. I mean, not, We've we'd done a couple like month long tours mm-hmm. in the Midwest at Ho Dunk venues and stuff. Yeah, um, and we didn't really start touring until the next summer. Maybe was the first one. Twenty fifteen was our first big summer tour. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd I was in most of us were still in college at that point. I think I finished in spring of fifteen. Fall Torin finished in the fall, and uh, after that it was sort of full steam ahead. Yeah, yeah. And then look at you guys now, man. You're like doing all kinds of shit. It's amazing. You're going to, you're doing electric forest this year. I know. That's, I think that's. I saw that down there. I'm like, okay, we got to talk about that. Yeah. I saw pretty lights there in 2013. Oh, no shit. So how psyched, how psyched are you to play on? I mean, I'm sure you've played on a lot of big stages, but like a big outdoor festival stage in the dark. Yeah. Presumably, hopefully. Um, that would be that would be uh, cool. we might be during the day i think we're during the day okay in, in dark one, day no, i don't give a fuck yeah okay uh, it's always the, it's always awesome. the dark for you guys come on yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that means <laughs> uh, how do you no, like I playing mean, up there on a big stage what are your what's your nerve situation like in just any old gig despite like not let alone like a massive stage man i hadn't gotten nerves in a long time until we were at winter wondergrass actually a couple weeks ago <laughs> really? i wasn't really well, I wasn't really expecting it. Like, usually we play, like, what, a 5 p.m., like, main stage slot. Like, that's usually, like, that's, like, the best festival slot we've had yet. Uh-huh. And there's, like, maybe 60% crowd there usually. Yeah. And, and then we got, and I was expecting the same thing. And we get to Winter Wondergrass, and it's, like, completely packed all the way to the back, and everybody's engaged. And I didn't really, like, look up until, like, the second song or something, and it was, like, holy shit. This oh, is, so it didn't hit you. Crazy. Weren't, so you, you you weren't kind of nervous getting up on stage, but once she did no. that, so, okay. So what did you feel yeah. like when that happened? Um, I I definitely got I I tensed up a little bit <laughs> really? for sure. Like I had to loosen myself up, like in um, the middle of a song, or just like in the kind of. Well, I think like the fourth song we played was "Stand at Ease," which I'm I do get a little bit nervous playing that every time, no matter what. And uh, but I think playing that in front of that many people yeah i was nervous at the start but after i got past that then it, like that helped loosen me up and it was like it was pretty cool huh. um but that was that was a new experience for sure playing in front of like we've played in front of that many people before but these were all people who were there and engaged and wanting to see us yeah it's like a strictly bluegrass festival that yeah yeah, yeah. which was which that was the craziest part like we've played in front of thousands of people 
at like Red Rocks or like concerts in the park or stuff like that. Yeah. But like those people aren't all there to see you. Like maybe there's 10% are there to see you. This was like, like everybody you've opened came. For sh- you've opened at Red Rocks. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a tough position too to be in. Uh, that, that's mm-hmm. kind of a different perspective. You know, right? yeah. that's sort of a different perspective. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. What's that yeah. like? Would you tell me about your your Red Rock experience? Red, Red Rocks, Rocks is cool, Red Rocks think... experience. Try to say that five <laughs> times fast. I can't even say it one time fast. <laughs> Red Rocks was cool. I mean, it was cool to see the just the back behind the other side of the venue because I'd seen a lot of shows there. Right. Yeah. And but it was a little. I mean. We were opening. We didn't really get a sound check. It was just it was sort of like uh, it was a co-bill between Piddle, uh, Twiddle and Pigeons playing ping <laughs> Piddle. All right, that's the best one I've got so far. Piddle and Twiggins playing ping pong. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I know those guys. I know that. Yeah. So, I mean, we love those guys. It was oh, yeah. Super totally, fun. man. We, we, really we've toured fun. a bunch yeah. with both those bands. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just as first of three, it was like, it was cool, but right. I really want to like go there when we can actually like have all of our own fans there. And yeah. Well, we had a bunch, I mean, a bunch coming. of people came it's down. Coming. There was a, there's a good contingency of our, like specifically our fans there, which was amazing, but right. I really want to like play that venue as a co-bill or something and really, really throw down, you know? Yeah. Hell yeah. But it's so great. I love the opportunity. I mean, I'm not in an opening band, so I can only imagine, and I understand by talking to tons of artists about being in that opening slot, it's just mm-hmm. a great fucking opportunity to get in front of fans that wouldn't necessarily, oh, yeah, it's yeah. phenomenal. Totally. It's phenomenal. Absolutely. Those you should be nervous for. Yeah, I was nervous <laughs> for that. I had like all of my family there, all of my wife's family, like everybody's family was there, so yeah. it was like, it was, it was nervous. Was that the first time you sure. played Red Rocks? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, what was that like? So, so you've been to a lot of shows there, mm-hmm. um, like I know that a lot of us have. Um, so, what was that like being on the other side? Sorry, being on the other side of the rail at that point. Yeah, I mean, it was cool. It was just sweet to see like the, the down. I mean, they there's so much production that goes into every show. Yeah. I mean, just from like the food alone is like incredible, and there's so much staff there to take care of everybody and um and seeing all the pictures of like everybody who's been there before like you Mm. can kind of feel that energy in all Mm -hmm. of the spaces and it that that whole side of it was really cool um our 40 minute set was a blur i don't really remember it but (laughs) it was it was fun yeah yeah um that's amazing, dude. And yeah, you're doing so many, so many great festivals. I mean, I can't, I didn't even write them all down. I mean, and they just announced the Sacred Rose Festival outside of Chicago. Yeah. Speaking mm-hmm. of Red Rocks. Are you in Chicago? I am Where in Chicago. Okay. Fucking A, man. This, the story of everyone's life is like all these overlapping shows of people playing here and people, there's so many, everyone's on the road, right? So of yep. course, we we're just talking about Red Rocks. I'm in mm-hmm. Colorado during that weekend <laughs> to see my morning jacket at Red Rocks on those exact nice. same dates when they just drop this amazing lineup for this uh, this festival that's um yeah, yeah I'm kind of on the outskirts of Chicago at this uh, soccer stadium. I think cool. that's where it is. Yeah. It's an interesting venue. It's you know, it's like a soccer okay. stadium big parking. I, I don't know exactly how it's going to how it's going to play out there. I don't mm-hmm. know. There's a main stage. I did that Americana Rama tour with Jacket and uh, uh, Wilco and Dylan. Oh, cool! <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. I, if I'm, I, I think that's correct. Yeah, that was they played that, was that quite same a venue. Back. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not downtown. It's not like Lollapalooza, which is across the street from where I live in mm-hmm. Grand Park. But um, oh, cool. yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, you did that cover. You did the Floyd covers. What else was up? Was it like okay, we're going to do a we're going to do, what was the process of that? We're going to do like an EP covers and yeah. who votes for what? Or was it always like, we're going to do Floyd? Uh, no, we well, so we actually did the band first. We did three songs by the band. We called Oh, that's Reheated. volume, Reheated Volume 1 is the band? Yep. Fucking A, yeah, dude. Volume learn something new every Floyd. day. Whoops. We're... <laughs> I honed in we're on the, to... the, ba- the bass heavy pigs though, on the Floyd yeah, oh, cover yeah. one. All right, <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh, yeah um but yeah we're gonna go back to that try to do those like once a year every two years we haven't done it since the floyd thing that was we actually recorded that like um march of 2020 it was like right the pandemic was Uh, already stored yeah 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 what's on the can you tell me what's on the short list for the next one uh like bands that we want to do yeah (laughs) um i know we've talked about the police is one we really want to do cool yeah Oh, you guys um, love the string dusters. They they kill uh, walking on the moon. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the the, and, the the kind of reggae ska wait, stuff is great for acoustic yeah. instruments, isn't it? And from your perspective oh, totally. too, right? Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to. We've yeah. We we throw ideas out there all the time. Yeah. Remember, but yeah, there's some fun ones. We yeah. want to do like a silly one sometime, or like we also want to do like a contemporary one, like maybe like a indie band or something oh, like like a cool. modern indie band. Yeah. But yeah, that'd be really that would be really cool. Um, well, this has been great, Joe. Thanks so much for, for sharing your time with me and telling yeah. me more about what's going on with Kitchen Dwellers. I'm so, um, I'm so happy to share this with my listeners and uh, you guys are great and just, just killing it out there, man. I wish you so much luck going forward, really, you know? Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Hopefully you get to run indie at some point again here. I hope so. I hope so. You guys are in um, going out in April bunch Mm -hmm. of west coast states and then you're just kind of all over the place maybe that the Um, fact that you're doing that sacred rose maybe you won't be in chicago one point we might be in chicago i was out of town you guys came and played martyrs here yeah remember that tiny little that little place we love yeah we've done martyrs a bunch martyrs is cool it's a rowdy spot (laughs) well because you're just like there's like no barrier it's just like you're just there oh yeah yeah i saw this amazing show i saw um at that venue, it was uh, Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real with oh, wow, who started like bef- when they were decided they're going to tour and they were going out uh-huh. like right in the middle of the summer on like we're back kind of tour, but mm-hmm. they played a couple of really small venues before they got going, and oh. it was so it's such a big deal. I went to Martyrs and like we've never had a huge tour bus parked outside of the yeah. uh, of Martyrs <laughs> before. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, that's a cool place. But you said you think you might be in Chicago at some point. I think yeah, probably fall tour. I mean, we every time we do the Midwest, we we'll do Chicago. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, know, come on, so. man. come on, come mm-hmm. on. <laughs> Gotta get some Italian beef. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, down on Taylor Street, there's a couple of good Italian beef. There's places. A, yeah, there's a couple of good ones right by that, right by Martyrs. I mean, we always hit up Portillo's too. Oh god, we lo- we love going through there. <laughs> do the drive through with the 15 passenger yeah. van. That's always yeah. a winner. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks, man. Cool. Yeah. Great Cheers. to have you on have the show. Yeah. Take care. Thank of you. you. Thanks. Thanks to you, man. Okay, that was Joe Funk of Kitchen Dwellers. Uh, the bass player extraordinaire for this band. Uh, like I said, they have a new album coming out April 29th, which is in a few short weeks. Wise River, produced by Corey Wong of Wolfpack. Really excited f- to hear everything off of that new album. Uh, they got a couple singles that are already out, so you can check those out in the meantime. Uh, just really broad, expansive sound. Kind of take. I really think it takes this band to the next level. And uh, if you've been following Roadcase, you know I love this bluegrass, jamgrass uh, uh, lane that's really exciting, and there's so much going on with it, and fans are just so fervently enthusiastic about their favorite bands and very supportive of kind of all the bands in this in this genre which makes it a really exciting place to be and i'm so psyched for kitchen dwellers um coming back from uh covid playing a bunch of shows and getting out there with this new album super exciting Really love talking to Joe about just being out there and uh, road life and kind of what the pause of COVID represented to him. Yeah, he did say COVID is horrible, but it did represent a really nice time to be back home with friends and family. And that's that's a common theme that we're going to hear and that we still hear uh, from bands that have been hitting the road so hard. It gave them a really new perspective. And um, love talking to Joe about what it's like being up there on a big stage. Um, he talked about having some nerves at the last winter rundergrass that he did. Um, uh, when they were playing actually the single that they released in conjunction with backline uh, that really focuses on mental health um, talked to talking to him about red rocks and actually being on the other side of the venue uh, for the show that they did uh, with twiddle and pigeons playing ping pong that was really cool how he said he had family in the audience and everything I just I, I, I love getting that perspective from um, from performers that uh, first time red rocks performers is always one of my uh, most favorite stories I, I, I really loved that and um, 
These guys have some tour dates. They're hitting the road again right now in April and uh, and in May. They've got some West Coast dates, and then they're coming out uh, into the Midwest and venturing farther out into the into this country. So uh, make sure you check their website for tour dates. And of course, again, they've got their new album coming out on April 29th, Wise River. Uh, thanks to everyone for being here for this episode. Um, we got tons of great guests coming up. I'm really really excited for uh, the remainder of this uh, this season three of Road Case really psyched so stay tuned on socials you can uh, follow us on instagram roadcase pod uh, to find out when these these episodes go live and please uh, rate and review and subscribe to roadcase on your favorite listening platforms really helps out the show thanks again for being here and i want to vi- send a very special thank you to my friend joe funk of kitchen dwellers for being here on this episode of roadcase Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road.